In episode six, we spoke about reflections, things you would do differently. This week's episode, we will talk about this week irregularities. And before we jump in, let's share a guest experience we've had in the past. Sylvia, do you have one? I do. And it's about a guest that stayed, um, oh, just over two years ago. And um, she came to stay uh, from Brisbane. She'd been living in Brisbane and she she wanted to come and live in Sydney because there was nothing in Brisbane keeping her there and she felt her job opportunities were better in Sydney. So she came to stay for two weeks um, and uh, during that time she had to find somewhere more permanent to live. And we got on so fabulously and we became friends in the last two years. And I was very pleased to this week get an invitation to her wedding. So that was, that was uh, something um, uh, that she was, well, she was single when she came here and to stay in, with me and in Sydney. And uh, in two years, she's met someone and is getting married. And I thought that was beautiful. And I'm invited to the wedding. Yes, in Piermont, Dalton House or somewhere like that. So it's gorgeous. It's a, it's a gorgeous venue. So um, I thought that was a beautiful story. She arrived here in Sydney wanting to start a new lark here. And two years later, she's getting married. Just a little over two years. That's very exciting. I love when you make new friends like that. It doesn't happen always, but when it does, I've noticed that those friendships last a long time. So we're going to jump into irregularities. The first one is instant bookings. What's your view on instant booking? I think instant booking is is best suited for hosts um, with an entire apartment or an entire home um, because uh, it, it it's unlikely that there would be anything that they could not accommodate as far as a book as a stay um, they could be busy and so they need an automatic and that's what instant book is uh, it, uh, an automatic uh, acceptance of a booking request and it you can set up certain um, parameters such as the um, person has to have proof of ID they have to have um, some reviews you can select that and and then it automatically accepts in a situation such as mine where I'm a host that has a shared home and the guests is uh, shares the home with me at the time of their stay I may need to check the dates in case I'm doing something because I actually check my guests in personally I don't have a lockbox or a code um, I may have to and I do this I don't uh, all the time I clarify that they understand that they will be sharing a home with myself before I accept the booking. So in my situation, I don't use instant book. I never have. I do see the benefit of instant book, especially if you're busy and you can't respond um, quickly to a booking request. Uh, in your case, Ray, I know that you had to clarify that they understood that not only were they sharing, but also there is a pet, a dog there. So when, when there needs to be clarification, I think instant book isn't suitable, but otherwise, if it's an entire place and you're busy, I think instant book works well. Yeah. What about one-nighters or one-night stays? What are your, what are some of the things to consider there? 
I find this one very interesting because a lot of people don't like, a lot of hosts don't like the one night stayers. And the obvious reason why is because they have to uh, do a clean and check in, check out, check in um, within 24 hours. So I get that. But I find that the one nighters, and I've got one who's just arrived now, they are basically out the entire time. They, they, they are, uh, generally speaking, they're, they're just here to shower. They, they're here, they come to stay for a purpose. They shower, they sleep, they, they leave. And so it's actually an easy one. And generally speaking, there's not a lot of cleaning to do. Now, there's another advantage to one-nighters, which I really would like to point out. If you are taking bookings and there's a gap of one night in between bookings, if there happens to be a gap of one night, if you have your bookings set to a minimum of two nights, you will not get a booking for that one night in between the two nights. So, sorry, in between the two stays. So what I'm trying to say is if you're trying to maximise your return, um, then really by not having one-nighters, you could be missing out on bookings. So um, there, are, there are benefits to one-nighters. So I'm saying... Don't be afraid of the one-nighters. They usually don't make much of a mess, so it's an easy clean. Um, they, um, they do fill in the gaps along the way. And also, providing you have a, a cleaning fee, it really does cover uh, the fact that you're cleaning all over again after 24 hours and changing sheets and washing sheets. So that's my take on one-nighters. So, all I'm saying is don't be afraid of them. They, they actually do serve a purpose. I think it's slightly different when in it's an entire home versus a shared home because when it's an entire home, I question why they only need it for one night stay. And th that could be in addition to other factors that we'll get into, like brand new profiles that just created within the same month not much in the description of their profile and i'm suspicious of that behavior when you have a self-check-in there's very little information about the individual who's staying without reviews of their past days and so i know many entire home super hosts shy away from having it and one thing that it affects at bookings is that there's a large proportion of people who search for one night stays and therefore your property will not be in the search results having the two nights stay minimum impacts you. And I would rather have the exposure for the property and give discounts for the additional nights and charge a higher one night stay rate than require a minimum two night stay for the entire home. But there's many horror stories of what happens with Airbnb guests and an impression that it happens more often when people book short term, short notice for one night I think charging the premium offsets the risk. Plus, you already have error cover plus home short-term rental insurance for contents. I think there are ways to mitigate the risk of having those short-term stays around the profiles. What's your view? Okay, but Ray, 
we're talking two things here. We're talking about one-nighters who book on the day and one-nighters who book in advance. So the ones who book in advance, I, I, I've had no problems with. They, uh, I mean, I know you could question why do they only one, one night? They're passing through. Often they've got a connecting flight. Um, often they're here for a wedding, a celebration, and they only need the one night. Um, so I, I, I haven't had a problem. I know, I hear what you're saying about if they book on the day, yeah, you, you kind of wonder why um, they're booking on, on, that, on the particular day for that particular night. But generally, I, I haven't had a problem at all. I have found more, more um, in the past, since the end of the pandemic, I have found that there's less and less people booking one night. Um, I'm not sure why, but I'm, I'm finding that mine are a minimum of two nights uh, generally up to two weeks uh, and and my point is there will be gaps in between those stays and so because I accept one-nighters those gaps get filled those one-nighters get filled in between the stays whereas if I didn't allow one-nighters I would have gaps um, and not getting income for those gaps so um, you know they're, they're, they're your options I think it's a combination of factors that affect the decision making around it. I do agree that those who plan ahead are less likely than the ones who book on the same day. At the same time, we've had guests who ha get a cancellation from their host on the same day, but they have great reviews. They've been on the platforms for many years and they write a profile and in their message, they're quite descriptive when they're requesting a book giving the context of why it's short notice. So I think there's many factors you can read from the behavior of the guests to know what's the probability of the incremental risk than longer stays. So I think for me, it's things I mentioned around the same day booking, the, on the same night, lack of reviews, lack of description that factor into mm, mm. requiring a premium. They haven't necessarily completed their ID verification, set up their payment method yet. And so it does say a little bit about the person on how much they care around what they're projecting to hosts and the level of care that they have or their state of mind. Um, for me, one night stays on short notice have been the most stressful ones for me because their stressful energy is quite contagious and it makes it more challenging to stay calm. Yes, I agree with everything you've said. So let's jump to those people who do have reviews, which sometimes I'm torn because not having a review is sometimes better than having bad reviews. What do you do when you get a booking request from people who have multiple poor reviews? And as a host, you get to see the scores of guests from previous stays and the comments from previous hosts. So what have you done in the past? Okay, well, obviously, uh, there's, there's a red flag there. So I'll, I'll, I'll look at the situation. If, say, for example, this particular guest who's, who's asking to book has five reviews and only one is bad, I, I, w I will read them all and, and, 
and see what, what the issue is. Um, I might address the issue with, of that bad review with the guest and ask them, you know, what they think of the review. I may ask, let, let's say the review said that they left the bathroom in a mess. I might write to them and say, do you think you've improved in that area? I'm, I'm just a little bit concerned about accepting your booking. If they only have one bad review and no other reviews, then that, that again, all I can do is address it. I mean, it's up to the host, really. If the host decides I don't want this um, this guest at all, uh, then that's that's one option. I'll try and talk to them unless they have a really, really bad review where they score low on cleanliness, communication, um, just everything. Then I, I must admit, I haven't had one like that. I'll, what I have had is just the, you know, one odd bad review. Um, the other thing I've had is where they've had a number of completed stays. So. This is information that Airbnb only, I don't know, maybe in the last few months has been capturing and giving. So, and I, and I had a situation where a guest had like five completed stays and no reviews. Now that is odd. And that was a red flag to me as well, because a lot of people, and that includes hosts, rather than writing a bad review, they will write nothing. So they like the person, they think the person's lovely, but they left it in a mess. Um, it was a pigsty, um, you know, so it concerns me if someone has had a number of stays and no reviews, because my mind tells me, is it because these hosts didn't want to write any review about the guest? And so that, as I say, that's a red flag as well. And I will, again, write to the, to the guest and say, um, I'm, how come you don't have any reviews and you've had five stays? So just getting an understanding of what the situation is. These, of course, are all irregularities, but they do happen and they do come up. As a host, you need to be able to decide what to do about them and whether to accept the particular booking or not. Yes, I agree. I can remember one booking request, which made me quite uncomfortable. It was probably three or four reviews, all within two or three star range for different categories that you rate guests with, with commentary around the guests being loud, the guests brought additional guests, they damaged the property, and they were difficult to communicate with and not responsive. And it was interesting. I had to read the read the booking request a couple of times because they seemed very friendly on the booking requests. But with the number of negative reviews, it just wasn't consistent. But I also didn't want to take the risk, so I de so I declined the booking request. And as a host, as a, as a super host, it feels difficult, challenging to decline guests because it affects your metrics. But at the same time. If it's going to be a difficult situation for both parties, it's probably best to not host them. I remember declining and I didn't give a specific reason. And that's something important to know is that you don't need to give a reason. 
I've stayed in over 25 places around the world and I get declined and hosts don't necessarily give me a reason on why. And that is a tip I have for hosts is that you don't need to justify why you're unwilling to host a guest. If you're uncomfortable with it, it's better to be safe than sorry. And for me, that's a much better approach. Mm. Yes. In a shared home such as mine, I think the type of guests that will will uh, want to come and stay are going to be very respectful of your home because you, I, the host, am there. But I've got friends who are hosts as well and one in particular had two situations where the people had, the guests had bad reviews and one of them she, um, no, actually she had three situations. So one of them she spoke to, wrote to them and said, look, I'm concerned. And he said, oh, you know, no, I'll be good. This had reasons why they had a bad review. She let him stay and it, he was a complete nightmare. Um, and a second one was the same. He was a nightmare. But a third one she accepted and he was very, very good. Um, and all the ones I have accepted that may have had one bad review but, but a few great reviews have been great. So, you know, it could have been a clash with in the personalities of the host with the guest. But there is a warning there and that is that um, this particular friend of mine accepted two that had bad reviews and they were bad. The guests were bad. Um, and, and how they think they can continue getting away with being bad because at some point when they've got so many bad reviews, the hosts will not be accepting them. I think even Airbnb will red flag them, I think. From, from my discussions with um, customer support at Airbnb, um, I think they write notes on the file about someone who's a bad guest. So, you know, I, I think you're right in saying it's not worth taking the risk. Um, but in my situation where, um, you know, it is shared and if it's just one bad review and, and other reviews are great, then I usually uh, just talk to them and then accept it if I'm happy with their response. I think there's a bigger risk when it's an entire home because you're not there. People feel like they can get away with more. Yes. And there's no one there to stop bad behaviors. Or it attracts people who want to get away with more. Yeah, it attracts people that want to get away with more. I've had at least one guest where the booking was from someone with great reviews with history on Airbnb, and then the person who shows up is not the person in the profile. The catfishing of Airbnb. It was quite awkward because it was a different name, a different person. It was someone's manager who booked it for their employee to stay because they were setting up a business or a new location. The guest was fine, though. They were tidy. It was a bit deceiving when they showed up. I'm very glad it worked out, but it was quite awkward at the beginning. Has, has this happened to you, Sylvia? 
Yes, I've, I have had guests book on behalf of someone else. Again, I think Airbnb ha has noted this and is trying to stamp it out. Um, but, for example, again, a friend of mine who's a host, she had a lady book um, saying that her and her son were staying there, but in fact it was only her son and he was a minor. He was below the age of 16. So he, he was throwing a party and she had to deal with it. So it was a disaster. Um, myself, for example, I've had, and this is very recently, someone asking to book for his partner and, and, and explained it in quite detail and saying, look, I've got an Airbnb coupon which I want to use. Um, so will you allow me to book for my partner, but he will be the only one staying, not myself. And again, because he gave me so much detail that his, his message was even longer than that, um, I, I felt that he was t telling me the truth and I accepted that situation. But I think, yes, you do need to be careful with guests who are booking for other people because it could be that the other person has bad reviews and they've asked their friend to book for them. So I think I think it's it, it really is a situation you have to be careful about. But as you say, if you don't know, if they have not said I'm booking for someone else and then they show up and it's someone else, it is concerning. It is concerning. Mm, mm, absolutely. Have you had guests book your place to stage film for their is this or for their projects? I have. Um, again, this is something that needs to be discussed with the um, person booking. Sometimes the, the most important thing is the number of people coming. So I've had uh, requests for booking my place for a lingerie shoot. I've had requests for a uh, filming shoot. I've got a friend who also had a request for a filming shoot. So often they don't stay the night. Often they just say, look, we need your place just for a few hours and then we'll be out. Um, the question I always ask first is how many people are coming? Because if you've got a small place, it's an apartment um, and, and there's 10 people running around, well, that's almost a party, isn't it? Um, so I have said yes and I have said no. The, the time that I said yes, they were filming something and it was a birthday party or something like that. I asked how many people were coming and then there were a few more that arrived. So again, you've got to be careful. My friend who had someone filming, her apartment building had a gorgeous foyer and they wanted more to be filming within the foyer. Um, she didn't have any problems. Look, mine wasn't a problem either, but I did have a lot more people running around and using everything. So I don't like a lot of people in my apartment. Um, so that's something else that you need to decide on your own policy. But my word of caution would be always ask how many people are going to be there. If it's a cast of thousands, um, you probably don't want them. But the advantage is that this often they don't sleep there and yeah, and so you don't have to change sheets. <laughs> that is nice. I've had guests stay mm. and then want to extend and then pay, want to pay cash to extend their stay. 
I'm very structured person and I don't want to keep track of things outside of, of Airbnb on multiple platforms or violate any of the policies. Have you had that? So I always tell guests to just request an extension and then I'll approve it because then it's covered by our cover. And in case of disputes and damages, have you in situations where your guests have offered to pay for additional nights or future bookings outside of the platform? And what's your approach? Absolutely, Ray. Um, it's a common request, especially for repeat guests. So they've come to stay, they've, they've decided they love your place, you, you're happy with them, and then three months later, a year later, they want to book again. And I've had those, and they have your number from the first time they stayed. So they contact you directly and, and ask if they can stay and, and pay by cash. When I was a new host, uh, so we're talking 10 years ago, I probably did accept one or two, but I quickly learned not to. And I don't now. I'm like you. I don't like having to trace things. I don't like having to chase up money. So the two or three that I allowed in the beginning, I was chasing up money. So I don't want to be doing that. The, the wonderful thing of Airbnb and the world that we live in is the automation and, of transfer of money. So I won't do it. And then I realized the implication of not having insurance. And uh, like yourself, I decided no. So even if I've, I'm very fond of the person and they want to pay with cash, I say, no, please go through Airbnb. I won't do it anymore. And that's my advice to anyone. I have a correction. So I recently stayed in Hobart for a tennis tournament and I left my charging cable and the host offered to mail it to me and I was going to call him. But I realized after your booking ends, the phone number disappears from the app. And I think that's a good feature because then it makes it more difficult for people to contact hosts outside the platform. But I didn't realize this, I didn't realize this realize until that. my last day. I've checked it multiple times because I wanted to call him to thank him. But also I wanted to transfer him money for posting me the cable. Luckily, he didn't want any money, so I didn't have to find bank details. But I realized that the phone number does disappear. So if you're going to exchange numbers because you're friends and you're going to communicate outside the platform, you should do it during your stay. Right. I didn't know that. But some people can write it down or keep a record of the phone number anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what, what I found? To, another one I just wanted to mention as far as irregularities go is the awaiting payment. So what I mean by that is you've accepted a booking request and it's uh, it, you get back from Airbnb that it's awaiting payment. What does that mean? What do you do about it? So awaiting payment means that Airbnb hasn't been able to collect the funds at the time of booking. So when I first used to receive that, I didn't do much. Now I've learned. So what I do is I write to the guest and I say, look, um, your booking hasn't been um, approved yet because Airbnb is saying that it's awaiting payment. Can you check your credit card that you have on file with Airbnb? It may have expired. That's what I learnt, Ray. I learnt that often. When, when the guest gets awaiting payment, 
it's because their um, their credit card has expired. So it's an easy fix, but they don't know that. And so they're, they're, they've got this message saying awaiting payment. I, I've got a, a message saying awaiting payment and they've only been given 24 hours to fix it. And I'll tell you about another irregularity within it, this irregularity. I had a booking request for one night on the same day and it came back with a waiting payment. So I wrote to the guest and I said, look, it's a waiting payment. Um, check your credit card or cancel the booking. Because when it's a waiting payment, the host cannot cancel the booking. And nothing was happening. And a few hours went by and it was the same day booking. So I called Airbnb support and I told them, do you know, they, they told me that they couldn't cancel it as well. They could because it required... 24 hours waiting for the guest to fix it. And I said, but 24 hours is tomorrow and the booking is for tonight. And I just lost that night's booking. Couldn't do anything about it. Very bizarre situation. Yes, very bizarre. Well, I think those are all our topics for this week, Sylvia. Was there anything else you wanted to mention? No, just... Um, it's it's with the more hosting and super hosting you do, the more you'll find these irregularities and learn how to deal with them. Excellent. Thank you very much, Sylvia, for this week's episode. Thanks, Ray. Bye.